As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 4, Episode 32. My name is Timitra. I am in the Alpha Quadrant in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again, also in the Alpha Quadrant, by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Greetings. And somewhere in the Delta Quadrant, on the edge of the universe, near the Great Barrier, is Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Right. I just want to point out that I, I think today they proved that the universe is flat, because there's like an edge. <laughs> That was my first thought, and I've, I've had the same issue with a bunch of sci-fi where it's like, oh no, this wave is going through the universe. Like, go down. Isn't space infinite? Go down. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's multidimensional space. If something's coming straight for your ship, go go down or up. Yeah, you have three three coordinates. You have yaw, pitch, and, and what's the roll, right? So, yeah. Hello? I don't know. Yeah. Just waiting for, and, and well, they were, we arrived at the edge of the universe. Apparently, you know, uh, next week Discovery is going to just fall off. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. Is this is this the same barrier from Star Trek Five? I, you know, we talked about that a few episodes back when they started talking about the Great Barrier, and it was with great resignation I had the thought today. Oh, geez, am I going to have to watch Star Trek Five again? Yeah, with that, with the sort of the the neoclassic he- disembodied heads Ugh. coming towards you, and didn't Robin Williams have like a plate head that would disconnect from his body? And oh, maybe that's a different movie. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> what does God need with the starship? Yes, exactly. Uh, it's so <laughs> bad. The ready room this uh, week, which did not have a preview of uh, Star Trek Discovery's next episode. Instead, it had a preview of the um, upcoming first episode of the new season of Star Trek Picard. Um, but hmm. either way, a big part of this episode was the insane number of times that people have breached or try to breach the uh, galactic barrier and TOS like they just made it seem like a a minor inconvenience <laughs> it was like a hedge <laughs> you just have to vault over <laughs> yeah 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 to get across um 
but it, it was interesting. I didn't really know with like the big. Uh, Wait, if we have this great barrier thing at the edge of the Alpha Quadrant, how did they explain Voyager? No, but it wasn't in between quadrants. It was I interpreted it as like a, a sphere around the galaxy. Oh, they went down instead of straight, right? Or more. <laughs> more the like Delta Quadrant is straight north. North, yes. Start, yeah. start to the right, right? <laughs> straight on till morning. That's, that's the, the one. one. That's the one, yeah. All right. Anyway, let's dig in with some fact check. And uh, Oh, look, it's me. Um, yeah, so International Space Station, I mentioned it last week. Um, I did put a link in the show notes if, if you people were looking. Um, I didn't put it on day one, but I put it a couple of days ago. Uh, about uh, This is a story from FastCompany.com that uh, the International Space Station, you've you got some time, folks, if you're going to be an astronaut, you can still get up there and hang around and be COVID-free. But uh, it is to be officially decommissioned in 2031. So you got 10 years. If you're if you're in the if you're in high school right now and you're thinking about you know the space program, then go for it. You have a chance of getting up there. Notwithstanding, it takes five years to train to be an astronaut to go to the space station. But you know, pitter patter. And we'll head over to headlines with Johnson. What you got? Yeah, we talked last week about how the. Uh the good folks at Paramount, including J.J. Abrams, proudly announced that they are going to bring back the Star Trek franchise to movie theaters. They're going to film uh, a fourth Star Trek movie in the Kelvin timeline starring Chris Pine. And they're going to you know, bring back the whole crew, Zach Kinto and all these people. Well, Hollywood Reporter has a lovely story this week that apparently this news was a surprise to everyone uh, on the cast. They were not apparently contacted before they made this announcement. And uh, yeah, there apparently was a lot of surprise that they were going to be in this new movie. They didn't know the announcement was coming. They hadn't been contacted. And uh, we're we're pretty caught off guard when they were told that they were going to be in a new movie that they had not signed on for. So I uh, guess J.J. Abrams has a whole pile full of gold plate gold plated latinum, right? That that's that's right. He pay them with. Yeah, he's apparently he had it all figured out. He didn't didn't need to consult with anybody. But uh, yeah, a, a funny funny in a sort of dark kind of way that you know this is the way that large corporations work. They wanted to make this announcement at this event and. Uh, it says in this article, which we'll have linked to in there in our show notes, that the only person that seemed to have been consulted at all was Chris Pine. Who well, that makes sense. They yeah. view as sort of the linchpin. If they get him, then they'll they'll get everyone else. But uh, yeah, that that you know we're st- still still waiting for uh, yeah Zachary Quinto, Simon Pegg, Carl Urban, Zoe Saldana, John Cho apparently are all uh, yeah looking looking forward to hearing from Paramount about this film that they're apparently going to be starring in so i know we were all talking about the merits of a new star trek theatrical movie and and what that was going to mean but uh, maybe we'll pump the brakes a little bit on our excitement until we get news that we've got everybody actually locked down for hmm. All right. Actually being cool. in the movie. Does, does Jaime understand the, the pump the brakes uh, analogy? I uh, I drove before ABS was uh, standard on vehicles. So, oh, uh, so you're familiar? Okay. Yeah. It, go. It, 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 it's one of those weird things where I assume modern drivers, so, so teenagers are like, you do the natural instinctive thing of, oh no, 
I'm losing grip and sliding, just slam on the brake, which seems intuitively what you should do. And with ABS, it's like, yeah, that's actually good because the computer will pump the brakes many, many times more quickly than you could possibly do it as a human. But for old school people, pre-ABS uh, anti-lock brake systems, um, you, you should not slam. You should pump the brake and, and kind of right. ease okay. into it. Alrighty. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you're up with uh, something for, about Marvel. Marvel? makers of ice cream Marvel. yeah i was surprised that uh jonathan hadn't picked this one up maybe it was like a, a a weird window here but this was this is for you jonathan that uh all of netflix's marvel shows are moving to disney plus in canada that's all we know for now oh. no clue what's going on for the rest of the world including the us of a but you all you know you get a little bit of sunshine every once in a while not all gloom and doom for <laughs> Canadian properties. <laughs> is this to make up for the fact that we get so hosed on some of this other stuff? Is this like a, this is our one perk? Yeah, it's like the giveth and taketh away thing. You got the Seinfeldian, <laughs> like the universe balances out stuff. Well, I'm glad I spent all that time last weekend catching up on all of the, all of the Daredevil. And what else did I watch? The um, Murders in the Building. I watched all, I finished all that stuff off because I, I figured I had to get these done because they're, they're leaving, you know? Mind you, the murders in the building is leaving end of the month, but but there is a season two, so I'm scratching my head. Anyway, but yeah, I finished Marvel. I sorry, I finished Daredevil. Now I know how it ends. Cool. On a on a handshake. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you finished it yet? You haven't finished it yet. No, there's like not even an opportunity at the moment. It's a it's a it's a fool's game to try to do this in the like four days left. Um, oh, true. Right. It might yeah. be mathematically possible, I suppose. Um, Especially if you skip intros, skip the credits, and etc. Don't eat. Well, who do watch don't, those anyway? Do you, get, do you even get to watch those on Netflix? Like, you have to really be quick to, on the remote to watch those. Yeah, yeah. It, it does seem like it tries to automatically get you there in, what, like, five-second countdown or something, so... So oh, can we talk about the end of Daredevil since we have a minute here, Jonathan? Yeah, sure. You want to roll for it? Just put your fingers in your ears there, Jaime. Jaime, have you watched all of Daredevil? I've not, but it's... I'm sure it's fine because they probably have referenced or it has ramifications for other things. I have seen like defenders and other stuff. So it, it, it's probably there. I would guess. I just want to, I just want to ask Jonathan, like, did, were you satisfied with the ending between daredevil and Kingpin? Um, no, I think, I think there's plenty more story to tell, but I would say as these things go and compared to some of the other Marvel Netflix series, I think, by the time they did the finale of Daredevil, the writing was a little more on the wall, and therefore I think it was a little more satisfying. Uh, so do you, mean, you mean that he was going to be going into other properties, and no, therefore... that he that he was uh, that the show was being canceled, and that they were trying to wrap it up in a somewhat oh, somewhat satisfying okay. way. Oh. Right, right. So it, it, it sort of does end on a little bit of a, you know, uh, Judd Nelson raises his hand in the air and they freeze frame. Like it, it, it just sort of, it's meant to just sort of be, you know, like, okay, that's, that's an ending. So if they're not doing any more, that could be an ending compared to uh, a series, which I don't think either of you watched all of. I can't recall how many if you watched all of Luke Cage. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so Luke Cage season two, Tim, I know I don't think you've watched it, but that very much sets up a season three. Like when you finish season two, it really feels like part two of at least three parts. So you come away from that thinking like, well, this is 
this is kind of unsatisfying because it leaves him in a very unusual place. And we do see him again. He shows up again in um, Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm, right. But it, so we get a, a hint of it and he, he references sort of where he was left off, which I think was they were trying to be a little bit more satisfying in the ending. But I think in the end, it, it, it he's left in a little bit more of a limbo state. I think Jessica Jones and Daredevil probably finish in the most satisfactory way although punisher season two kind of does too it 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 leaves the door open for and then he continued doing whatever he's doing you know like iron fist is a very unsatisfying ending luke cage is a very unsatisfying ending the other three tie up a little more neatly but so, so how do you mean? How do you mean Daredevil was canceled? You mean like they knew that the Disney tra- transition was happening and and all that kind of stuff? Or, or yeah, I mean, they are not paying anymore for this or what? It happened happen? sequentially. So basically, the the seasons ended on the first few of them, and then the news started coming. So it, it didn't happen all at once. It wasn't like all four of these or all five of these shows are canceled all at once. They they did them in in like a sequential order. So I think. When they got the cancellation notice for the first show, I think the showrunners of the other shows were like, row And I think they knew, okay, we are not going to get another season to this. Let's try and find a way to, to put a bit of a bow on this, because that's how it's going to go. So I, I think for the later ones, particularly Punisher and Jessica Jones, I think they were able to give them a little bit more of a satisfying ending. You know... I, it's pretty common. I mean, the analogy, I think, would be comic books, right? In comic books, most comic books never truly end, whether they end a series and then start it with a new number one or they continue it. Like this week, I bought uh, Amazing Spider-Man number, I think, 891. It, it's a series that's been going on since the 1960s. It will go on long past my lifetime, probably. Uh you just kind of have to accept that, you know, it, whether you pop in and pop out or however it goes, it's just going to keep going. But they do try and with different writers coming in or artists coming in, they do try and give you these sort of jump on, jump off points that, you know, they tell you a, a story arc. There are small stories and then there are big overarching stories. And, you know, as a reader, it's very satisfying to jump in when you're getting, you know, something newer and then you jump out when a writer leaves or a character dies or whatever the milestone sort of end of that is. In the last number of years, it's been very trendy in comics to not continue the traditional numbering from, you know, when the series started, but to basically every few years, every three to five years, you reboot the series with a new number one because it's everybody wants to own Batman number one or Spider-Man number one. Right. right, Yeah. They reboot it with a new number one because it gives new readers an opportunity to jump right in with a new story and a new writer and all those things. And it gives people a bit of a clean break. You know, DC did that a number of years back. They did something called the new 52 where they basically ended continuity with uh, with Flashpoint, which was a big Flash crossover series, they ended continuity as you knew it. So, and then they basically relaunched fifty two new series, all with a new number one, with new creative teams and new ways of coming at it. And for the most part, all of those were slightly tweaked iterations, different costumes, different origins, different backstories to these characters. A lot of comic readers took that as an opportunity to be like 
cool. I can I can stop now. I did. Ah, right. Uh, You know, and and that allowed me to sort of cherry pick like, oh, okay, I like these creators. I'll follow a few more of these. You know, some characters I really still felt fond of. I wanted to see what their interpretations were. But in a lot of cases, I felt like, cool, it's it's an ending. I can can just walk away. And in a lot of those series, they knew the end was coming. So they kind of wrapped things up in the same way that they wrapped up Daredevil and they wrapped up Jessica Jones and they they wrapped up the Punisher where it's not over you know the character's not meant to be like you know they're not ending the series with somebody's death they're just you know and they continued to fight for the good fight ad infinitum so for me I haven't read a Superman I haven't bought a new Superman comic since they changed over the new 52 which would be 2012 I want to say but I don't think Superman's gone. As a matter of fact, I'm sure there are some amazing stories that have been told since then. But I just haven't felt compelled to jump back in and read all those adventures and everything else because I, I got my clean break. In this case, they've given you a clean break on a couple of these stories. You know, Daredevil ends pretty much with, you know, and they all got back together and they lived happily ever after. And theoretically, they could, you know... They could restart from that point if they started a new series, or they could start five years later with, you know, oh, but circumstances have changed. They can go a lot of different places. But if you just wanted to have a clean break there, you could. Yeah. So it's interesting, like, you know, because I read, I remember reading, you know, Spider-Man and Superman when I was, you know, before you were even born, right? And um uh, so it's, it's interesting to me that that the same the same like as you said there's like 800 or whatever um, episodes of this this book. So I'm I'm curious did so did Peter Parker have like a Walkman and then eventually a BlackBerry and now he has an iPhone? Is that <laughs> does that how does that work or? Yeah, absolutely. And and again, there's been different iterations. He has an and... age. He's still in grade 12 in high school and the whole bit, right? <laughs> well, they've done they've done a lot of different things to the different characters over the years. And then you know they'll do like these mini series where it's like you know a look back or you know marvel did the thing a number of years back jesus almost it's been over 20 years now but they did the ultimate universe where basically they took the stories that you knew about the x-men or spider-man or the fantastic four but modernized it so they basically started with the things that they liked boy gets bit by spider high school boy gets bit by spider and has adventures. That's the basic principle. But instead of starting it in 1963, they started it in 2001. Okay, cool. Right, okay. So, yeah. so he has all the technological advantages of the time. He, it's, it's a much more modern take. And they cherry pick the things they like. And they take some traditional storylines and they tweak them to be more modern. And it's a new entry point for a lot of readers. A lot of readers took to it and really gravitated to it. You know, that's how you end up with things like Miles Morales, right? Like, you know, he spun out of that universe where... Because it wasn't really Peter Parker, although it was, they could eventually, through the ser- telling of that series over you know ten plus years, they killed Peter Parker. He died saving the world, and then that ultimate Marvel universe didn't have a Spider-Man anymore, and so Miles Morales steps in and becomes the new Spider-Man. Okay, right, right. You can't, mm. you can't kill quote unquote the real Peter Parker in comic books because he's a cash cow. You don't do that. That's stupid. But if you create this alternate one and then you kill him off, you have the tragedy, but then you reboot with this new character, then you've got another cash cow. 
again, it's it's the way to basically look at it through the prism of good storytelling, but really, it's a business. You're trying to make people buy these things and, and frankly, be addicted to them because you have to buy it on a monthly basis or, uh, you know, six times a year or every time a miniseries comes out. So, I mean, that's the thing. As I say, comic books, I expect, you know, whether the format changes to completely digital down the road or whatever it is, in some form, comic books will continue long past my lifetime and I'll have my period of time that is important to me. And, you know, I'll have to reconcile the fact that I will never know how Peter's story ends because it It'll outlive me. In yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like this is kind of a, I think, a corollary to that is that when people ask me who've never seen Star Wars before, where do they start? And I always mm. say start with a New Hope, right? Um, because I think to like, you know, I, I, yeah, you could start with Episode One and work your way all the way through to um, you know, Rise of Skywalker. But you know, the reality is is that. From as a movie file, I think that you have to start from the first movie and and watch them in the in the order that they were they were released. I guess you know, and if you really want to, if you really want to, you know, save your brain cells, you just skip the whole first uh, the the prequel series, like we've talked about before, right? Yeah, you know. Although again, we've talked about it. If you are somebody who's going to dive into the deep end and are going to go watch Clone Wars, you could make a case that true. Yeah. You could actually yeah. put some put some purpose and meaning to those things. I think Dave Filoni did a wonderful job of actually redeeming the prequels by telling a really good True. story in Clone Wars. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't make them good movies, but it does give them a little more depth. Yeah, but like again, it, it breaks the 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 storytelling breaks when you if you watch them in the or, in the order that they're numbered, right? Like if you start with Phantom Menace and work your way forward, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, cuz you get to episode 4 and it's like because I mean, like the, again, I go back to the. I still have the original cut of of uh, A New Hope, which wasn't called A New Hope when it came out, and it kind of like it's like, oh look, we found this lost, you know, what was it Buster uh, Buck Rogers, and it was, uh, um, you know, Flash the guy, Gordon, Buster Crab, yeah, Buster Buster Crab, he played uh, Flash Gordon, I think, right? And they would they would have these serialized movies that they would show before other other things. And if you wanted to, you had to go every you know couple of months to see the next chapter, sort of thing, right? And um, it's kind of like, hey, we found this episode four, let's watch it, kind of deal. Like that's kind of how how it was originally released. And I thought that was really a really cool way of of telling a story. And then and then of course you know then then people kind of completionists went, what? There's where's one, two, and three? Mm. Oh no. You know, and that's uh, that's how we end up where we are today. Anyway, but yeah, I think I think from the point of view, like you were saying, like like, um, I, and again, I, I think I told you when I was younger, I, when I f- bought the first Star Wars comic episode, uh, number one comic, I was so disappointed that it didn't tell the whole story of, of A New Hope. Right? Nope. It only got you so far, and then you had to had to go and buy the next week, and I and I never got into the habit of doing that. Right? So, and if you had, you'd be and t- take. Good care of care of them. You'd have been uh, glad you did because those are worth a couple don't, bucks don't now. Don't forget all of my comic books and all of my toys and stuff like that. My mother let my nephews, you know, play with them and drool on them and crayon them and whatever. Right. So yeah, I, th- I think you've got a couple of my Mad magazines that have been written on. Right. I so. do. I believe I do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway. I like to look at it as, as an artistic vision of Mad Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interpretation. It's a it's a performance piece. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, let's yeah. Let's just jump into let's jump into the episode uh, that we're talking about this week, which is the Star War of the Stars. No, the Trek of the Stars. 
Um, Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 10, The Confusion of the Barrier. What was it called? I believe it was called, called The Great Barrier. Oh, it was called The Great Barrier. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Let me let me just double, double, double check that. I must admit I... I thought it was called Star Trek Discovery yeah, Episode The Galactic 10. Barrier. Why Are We Here? That's what I thought it was called. The Galactic Barrier, Episode 10, yes. Galactic. Galactic Barrier. Alrighty, well, Jonathan's doing the recap, so over to you. Yeah, this was uh, this was a, a complicated episode. Lots of jumping around, so so hold. And when you get to the Admiral Admiral Vance's comment before they take off, I have something to say. All right, all right, I'll leave some breath in there. So we start off at uh, Starfleet headquarters. There is a meeting taking place between some of the big heads of Starfleet and the Federation trying to get ready for this mission to go and penetrate the galactic barrier and to communicate with Species 10C in the wake of last week's episode where Tarka blew up a DMA and they sent an even bigger, nastier DMA in its place. And so we've got, sitting around the table, we've got, uh, let's see, Burnham, Rillick, the president, Vance, the uh, head of Starfleet, Admiral Vance. We've got Kovic, uh, David Cronenberg's character, and um, who else is there? And there, there was well, a Ferengi. There was a Ferengi. Yeah, too. That's, so these are supposed to be the delegates who are supposed to be going on this mission along with the Discovery uh, crew to try and make first contact with this conceivably extremely powerful uh, race that lives beyond the galactic barrier that have sent the DMA to mine their space of Boronite and to potentially, uh, you know, uh, yeah, try and make sure that there, there aren't these uh, misunderstandings. To that end, we've got Kovic sitting there talking about how, you know, they, you know, this is going to be a tough, a tough mission. No matter what they think is going to happen, isn't necessarily going to happen. We get introduced to Dr. Harai, who is an astrolinguistics xenophonologist and a theoretical semiotics expert. Those are all fun things to say. I thought I'd just throw those in so I could say them. He is uh, he is there, and he's he's going to sort of stand in. We find out that Kovic is not going because he has something more important to do. I think yeah, we might more important than discuss the that. Yeah, yeah the, somebody says to him, "What are you doing that's more important than that?" And he's like, "I can't tell you." Any anyone anyone got any thoughts on what it is yeah, Kovic is doing? Don't know. Wow. Internet saying like he's a a person from a different universe. We're saying he's from a different time. I have no idea. I have no idea what he's up to. Maybe he really had to go to the bathroom. I don't know. I, I think the only answer is that he's Batman because you never see him at the same time as Batman. <laughs> That's true. I just, yeah, it was very strange. And then in, in a scene that we'll, we'll talk about in a second, we also see that, uh, that Commander Bryce isn't going along as well, right? Or Lieutenant Bryce isn't, isn't going along as well. And he's going to be working with Kovic. Now, they were working on trying to work on sort of the ultimate communicator. Right. So yeah. that they could communicate with Species 10C and Bryce is staying behind so that he can work on that uh, with Kovic. So I don't know. Anyway, so we circle. It's interesting that when they were talking about that, when they, they mentioned the fact that, that the, the the confirmation bias in the in the um, 
trans or the the what do you call them the uh, translators, right? Mm-hmm. And they mentioned Klingons, and yet there wasn't a single Klingon in the room, yeah. and there wasn't a single Klingon in the episode. So I don't know what the reference to Klingons were, other than a tie-in to the original series or the first season of this episode of Discovery. I don't know, but it was weird that they. I think they were talking about how they they have trouble communicating with the Klingons because of the translator mis- malfunctions. Yeah, I, auto autocorrect or whatever. It occurred to me as we were watching this, and they had the delegates and everything that we haven't seen any Klingons since we moved to this True. part of the right. timeline. And I wonder right. if that will pay off down the right the road, so that they can go. By the way, didn't you notice you didn't see any Klingons through this? But I digress. Uh, so Kovic says he's not going, he does make a very funny reference where they talk about going through the galactic barrier and he says, it's not going to be like going on a three hour tour. And uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was a little Easter egg for old folks like us, I guess that the, the three hour tour, uh, Gilligan's Island reference, which probably went over a lot of young people's heads but yeah well confused sorrow too right yeah that's right you know it's, he's like i don't i don't recognize the reference like yeah well, never mind. it's going to take longer than three hours come on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so we then find out that the the dma that has replaced the other dma the bigger nastier dma that they've sent is actually um going faster it's going faster than the previous dma it's it's working its way through so it's like they're clear cutting the amazon rainforest is what they're doing yeah you know, so they're, they're yeah. saying that you know it, the other one was supposed to take i think a week that's what they had said to book in the last episode it was going to take a week for them to get in there and and do the dma stuff so they had a week where they could try and penetrate the barrier now it's down to 12 hours and it's going to take them two hours to get ready which doesn't seem like good planning like maybe maybe step it up a gear i don't know but yeah, why do they have that whole 15 minutes of everybody saying goodbye to each other? Like, just put your like, like, like the firemen, you know, when, when, the, when the alarm bell goes off in the fire hall, they don't say, hang on, I got to call my kids and say goodbye. They put their boots on and they get in the truck and they go. Yeah. Yeah. And and I get what, you know, what they were sort of setting up was, you know, they had to fortify the shields and add more programmable matter to the ship and yada, yada, yada to try and make sure that it was all ready. But then Burnham makes a point of saying in this conversation, well, we need to give people time to say goodbye. I'm like, do you? Do you? Like, yeah. Well, it's it's to set up Siru and, and uh, yeah. Tival, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so... We find out in this moment that uh, President Rillick has a little moment with with Admiral Vance and says, by the way, I'm transferring command of uh, the Federation to the vice president and he will need your support. I am going on this mission and says, you know, I'm the best person for the job. I was the top ambassador for the Federation for 20 years. You you know, you need me there, not here. Um, and we find out her first name is Lyra. I didn't I don't remember mm-hmm. hearing that before, but that was interesting. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was it was sort of an interesting moment that, you know, we so know what I wanted to say was was at the beginning of that interchange. Vance says under his breath, it's a hell of a thing, Mm. which is the same thing that Captain Kirk says in an undiscovered country. There you go. Yeah. Um, there was something else I was going to say about that too, but that, that's what I wanted to say was about the, 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 the tie. It's almost like the, I have a bad feeling about this Mm. line that we get in star Wars, you know? There you go. There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, we cut from that scene that. Uh, we jump over to. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, I forgot. Mm. The thing I was going to say. The thing I was going to say was, didn't Jaime say last week that she had said 
Or was that in the preview that she was going to stay and no, that, up her... I, you guys asked about the, um, cause I think you got like preview? a proper trailer or other preview. And all we got on the yeah. ready room was the little scene of like, Hey, I'm going on the mission. I'm giving up my powers of the vice president, which okay, was yeah, a very you mentioned last weird weekend. preview yep. to give us. Yeah. To at least make use of your budget and be like, give me the pew, pew, pews. And then you, <laughs> for the same one time you made the pew, pew, pews, like you got, you know, two sessions of it. There you go. Uh, we got the books ship and he is basically uh, about to send Tarka packing. He's, you know, sort of saying, you know, okay, I found a planet. It doesn't have electricity or anything, but I'm sure you'll be fine. Get off my ship, you jackass. You, you know, you basically just destroyed my relationship with Starfleet. You destroyed my relationship with my girlfriend because, you know, you couldn't stop yourself. And the two of them sort of have it out, you know, hey, Tarkas is like, hey, you know, I did I did what we agreed to do. You're the one that, you know, backed out at the last second. You know, we agreed we're going to do this. I just followed through when you wouldn't. And so they have this sort of, you know, little spat and, you know, book sort of says, you know, well, all right, well, you know, what can you, you know, what can you do for me, basically? And Tarka says, well, I have a way for us to get through the Great Barrier uh, that's going to work, but we need to go get this MacGuffin called Programmable Antimatter. Jaime's favorite thing, yeah. Yes, Programmable Antimatter. And so... Wait, that's not programmable matter as opposed to programmable antimatter. This is a new kind of... This is a new thing, yes. Matter. Oh, wow. So having that new MacGuffin in there, Book sort of relents and says, you know, fine, I need you to help me get through the barrier so that I can continue my mission, which is to stop the DMA from doing any more damage. And so they agree to go on this mission. And mess up first contact if you think about it, right? Well, that's it, right? Or come to the rescue. We'll see in the next couple episodes. So... The two of them agree to continue working together. They're going to go and find this stash of programmable antimatter that is is, is sort of their motivation through this episode. Uh, we go back to Starfleet headquarters and uh, we get the farewell between Saru and uh, Bryce saying, you know, this is where Bryce says, I'm, I'm still working on the communication thing. That leaves him in the hallway where he runs into Tarina, the president of Navarre, uh, with whom they've been, you know, kind of crisscrossing will they won't they kind of uh kind of sam and diane kind of thing there and so he goes over and sort of addresses that you know he's going to say goodbye to her and he sort of says you know well you know i really enjoy getting to know you and you know maybe maybe you and i kind of have a little more than just like a friendship going on and she's like oh i've got to go and leaves him completely hanging which was a very very funny moment i i I'm never seen right out of discovery high, right? Yeah. I'm never like, I I'm, I'm always amazed and always impressed by how much Doug Jones covered in that makeup can still emote so well. He really is a gifted actor in his, his, the way that he moves his head, the way that his body language works. He's so, so good considering what he's working with. So we go to, Discovery and uh, Adira Tal has returned. Uh, they have come back from dropping Gray off at uh, the Troll Homeworld, where he is going to be doing his studies. Um, and Burnham 
welcomes Adira back. Stamets sort of does the proud papa thing. Oh, we, we were so glad to have her back, and we're so great, and so great to see her, and she's going to do this great job on the thing. And and uh, Adira is sort of rolling their eyes, saying, you know, okay, okay Dad, <laughs> you know, like shut up. Um, setting things up for a little later on in the episode. Uh, we go to Rillick and Burnham where they're talking about how they are going to sort of manage both being on this mission because we cut back to that first episode of the season where Rillick went on a mission with them and was kind of being a pain in Burnham's butt. And so now they're trying to sort of set some ground rules. Okay, well, you know, my job is to work with the crew, says Burnham. Your job is to work on, like, the delegates and the diplomacy side and we'll try and stay out of each other's way and work together and not step on each other's toes. Uh, we go to the bridge and uh, <laughs> Saru makes a very funny joke about uh, uh, herding cats, trying to get the delegates together, uh, including uh, all the different people. We we have the delegates from Earth and Titan and, and the Ferengi and... and uh, as it turns out, the Navarre, but we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, we get a nice speech from uh, Burnham. You know, hey, we're we're going, and boof, off we go. And then we are uh, into our opening credits. Pretty long, cold open, I would say, longer than average. Mm-hmm. A lot, pr- fifteen minutes. Yeah, I, I noticed that. Yeah, crammed in a lot of stuff in this episode. And as I said, we, we, you, you'll notice as we keep going through this, there's a lot of jumping around. They go to black alert, boof, off they go. We come back after the opening credits, and instead of being four light years away from the galactic barrier, they're actually nine light years away from the back galactic barrier. Funny line from Burnham, who says to Stamets, you owe me five light years. Uh, I thought yeah, that was yeah. a funny, funny little dig. It's not an exact science, Captain. Um, which is, wait, it's science, and it's astronavigation, <laughs> which is science. Okay, Hello? I guess I guess what Paul's trying to say uh, is... Am I being a stickler here? I'm sorry. <laughs> I think what Paul's trying to say is, you know, uh, what's the line from Han Solo? You fly too close to a supernova, and you uh, or, or uh, drop out of light speed into an asteroid field, and you'll be, you know, triple me over real quick. I think what he's trying yeah. to say is, like, I tried to get us as close as we can without us entering into the galactic barrier and turning into a, a crispy fried discovery. So it, you get what mm-hmm. you get. Uh, it's a, at that point that we find out that uh, that Tarina actually is on board Discovery. They did reference before the, uh, the credits that the ambassador from Navarre was running late. And she says, well... Which should have been a clue, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she says, well, you know, there wasn't going to be anybody representing Navarre. And I thought I should be the one to represent Navarre. And, you know, of course, this is a very awkward scene where uh, Culber and Saru are there. And Culber's like, ooh, you, you told her something, didn't you? Because you look like you're <laughs> very awkward right now. But, and it's kind of like, you know, but I've already invited the other girl to the prom. Yeah. And like, now I can't mm-hmm. go with the date I wanted to go with. Like, like again, back at, you know, Discovery High. Well, and again, she she did leave him hanging pretty hard there. So it was just funny, funny to see. Again, great work by uh, by Doug Jones, just sort of, you know, looking like, you know, again, how, how you can still look so embarrassed and sheepish and that stuff while wearing that full face prosthetic. It's, it really is impressive. Uh, we go to Book and Tarka. They have gone to the place where they are uh, going to go and pick up this MacGuffin, the programmable antimatter. And, 
you know, they notice uh, book notices that it's actually an emerald chain work camp and sort of pulls out his phaser and says, where are you taking me? Like, I'm not going into emerald chain held territory for you. Forget that. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to tell you a story. And so we start getting this unveil of the full backstory for uh, Ruan Tarka, who, you know, starts to sort of show you how he got to where he is. He is, you know, flashback. He's suddenly got a dark beard and dark hair, and he is a prisoner of the Emerald Chain at this work camp. He's put into a cell with this uh, alien species uh, person named Oros, and Clearly, he is uh, also a genius, as we've established that, you know, while Tarka is a, is a schmuck, he is a genius. And the two of them start bonding and they start, you know, connecting over the fact that, you know, they clearly have like minds. And so this this story sort of keeps popping in and out throughout the episode. Back to the barrier, Discovery as, as sort of arrives at the barrier. They're trying to figure out, you know, how are we going to get through this thing? Uh, what they had in mind in the first place wasn't going to completely work. It was going to, you know, take too long and do too much damage to their shields. They get the idea that they can basically ride these uh, these negative particles, these bubbles of negative particles through the Great Barrier, and that that should give them sufficient protection inside that. Uh, interesting effect when they so they decide to poof off they go they go in there and uh, and the visual spectrum changes so that was an interesting effect where like it was a a visual a very simple use of a visual for for us the audience to understand that they were going through something weird just by like changing the lights uh, where they lost the visual spectrum while they were going through this part before they got to the bubble that they wanted to get to and uh, yes finally they they sort of get into their uh, their safe space and the idea is that they're going to ride this bubble and it's going to take them from one side of the barrier to the other we go back to book and tarka and they see a cloaked ship taking off from the site of the emerald chain work camp the the ruined emerald chain work camp and again their sort of concern is you know oh well maybe they they took our stuff and tarka says you know don't worry my you know the the, the macguffin will still be there it's don't you worry Goes back to his backstory and we get a little more of, you know, the, the relationship building between him and Oros. And he's trying to sort of figure out what it is that Oros is working on besides what, are, what they've been tasked with by the Emerald Chain, which is trying to find a non-dilithium warp engine. And it turns out that Oros is working on an interdimensional transporter. He's trying to find a way to transport them, not just out of the Emerald Chain work camp, but to a place called uh, Kyalis. And Kyalis is supposed to be this sort of Nirvana-like place. I immediately started thinking of uh, Star Trek Seven, the the Nexus. In the right. way he was describing it, it's like a place of beautiful peace and harmony and all. Okay, sure. All right. Uh, so then we go to back to discovery and Burnham and Rillick have to go into the ready room because they've got this secret message that has just arrived the moment before they went into the uh, great barrier. And 
It's Vance, and Vance is sort of saying, hey, we got some bad news for you. Uh, the DMA finished faster than we thought it would. It's jumped away from where it was in sort of nothing space there. It's now shown up in the Alpha Quadrant, and it's headed towards Earth and Navarre. And at our current, at its current trajectory, which I thought was really funny because when he just said, yeah, we blew our calculations, he was like, yeah, it's got 71 hours before it reaches Earth and Navarre. I was like, but didn't you just admit that you screwed up the timing on the, the mm -hmm. last time you did calculations? So maybe that number is yeah. not so good, but... He basically says, you know, Earth and Navarre and Titan, which are the three of the key inhabited worlds in the Alpha Quadrant, are all at risk in the next few days. And then the debate comes on, you know, should we tell the crew? Should we not tell the crew and the delegates? Do we, you know, do we keep this to ourselves? And the two of them have this sort of mild ethical debate of is it better to tell the truth or is it better to let them focus on the task at hand? Uh, we go back out onto the bridge because the Discovery crew has to inform them that they're now stuck in a bubble traffic jam, that the the pocket of negative space that they're in, that they have been sort of riding through this, uh, this barrier, was basically stuck behind a bunch of these other ones, and they realize that they could be there for, as Saru says, it could be hours, days, or weeks, but now they both know that they don't have the time for it. So they decide, well, you know, we could sort of jump from bubble to bubble till we get to the front bubble and then that bubble will take us through. And we cut back over to Tarka and Oros um, and the backstory. They're trying to get their interdimensional transporter going, but they don't have enough power. And uh, at, at that point, they, they try and get it going. It doesn't work. The Emerald Chain guards come through the door and they beat the tar out of them both, particularly Oros. And then it, you know, is revealed that Tarka was actually planted there, that he was spying for the chain and was trying to figure out what it is that Oros was working on besides the mission that he had been given, which is to work on the, the non-dilithium warp engine. And... So there's this sort of very sad scene where, you know, a sort of regretful Tarka is like, you know, I, you know, I, I agreed to do that because I was just so, you know, I needed to be free and this, this, this could get me free, but now I know you and I don't want, I don't want any harm to come to you. And he tries to get him out there, but Oros is pretty seriously hurt. He's, you know, the, the Emerald Chain guards beat him up pretty good. And so Tarka escapes and leaves Oro, Oros behind. And of course, then we jump into the the present and book is sort of saying, oh, OK, so now I know who you are. And that's when Tarka basically reveals, OK, you know, I built my own transporter, but I can't find any power source that will get me where I need to go. I, I need the DMA power source. Now, I'm just going to take a little aside here and say, but if Oros figured it out while still stuck at an Emerald Chain work camp, why does he have to go to this level of extreme to have that level of power if it must already exist in their universe? Yeah, I didn't totally get that either. That like, you know, kind of like Gilligan's Island thing here. If like the professor was able to make a, a radio yeah. out of <laughs> these coconuts. coconuts, but he wasn't able to fix the dang boat is kind of what felt like was happening there. I didn't fully. And maybe it's meant to be revealed in future episodes because he's like assuming that Oros got to the other side and we don't factually know that to be true. Mm -hmm. 
We go back to Disco, and they are now starting their bubble jumping. They are, uh, you know, jumping from place to place, and it's getting pretty hairy. The shields are getting pretty messed up, and they're down to at one point, you know, two, three percent of the of the the left of the shields. And to keep the sort of morale going, they <laughs> and just to sort of throw a little salt in Burnham and Rillick's uh, conversation about should they tell the truth, is. The bridge crew starts talking about all the things they're going to do if they survive this. I'm going to go hiking here. Well, I'm going to go look at this. And my favorite place on Earth is this. And I'm going to Astoria, oh, yeah. which was a nice Goonies reference there. And, um, and you know, it, it is. It is just the knife twisting in Burnham and Rillick's guts, right? You know, we, we didn't tell them the truth. Now they're all talking about uh, the great things they're going to do on Earth when they get out of this. And, of course, they know that Earth may not even be there unless they... Unless they survive and and accomplish their mission, of course. Um, we then, you know, they get through the other side. We get the, you know, hooray. Uh, we go down to engineering and we get the follow-up to the conversation from the beginning of the episode between Stamets and Adira, where Stamets sort of says, you know, hey, sorry for coming on so strong. I just, you know, I could tell that you were hurting with, you know, being separated from Gray. And, you know, I just, I wanted to sort of help you. And, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because I'm not going to leave you in pain. I'm always going to react when I can tell that things are off with you. And Adira kindly says, you know, I appreciate that, you know, I have your support, but, you know, I'm I'm actually okay. Which is, you know, it's 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 nice that we don't just again we we've talked about sort of the better writing and the better character development that we've seen this season, mm -hmm. and this was a nice extension of that. It's not just you know dust off your hands, Grays in the past that Adira is having these you know sort of conflicted feelings, but it's part of her character evolution that we've seen throughout the course of the season that. They've gotten to a better place and and, and start uh, starting to feel a little more confident. And so, so this is where Rogers decided that it was the end of the show. So that's how we're going to wrap up the episode this week. And yeah, <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> I have no idea what happened after this. <laughs> well, let me tell you a story, Tim. All right. Okay. <laughs> From there, we go to uh, we go to uh, Rillick and Burnham. Uh, the two of them have the, you know, the, the follow-up conversation, you know, they have the, you know, the... the Nobody saw coming, right? What? Nobody saw this coming yeah. throughout the whole time. No, yeah, never mind. Yeah, the two of them have the, well, maybe we should tell the crew, maybe, maybe we need to, you know, given everything we've gone through, you know, your feelings, my feelings, they sort of talk it out. We then go to Book and Tarka. They've got their their MacGuffin, their programmable antimatter, and they're ready to go. And so they are, you know, ready to join the fight. And we sort of set them up for going forward from there. Disco is now through the barrier. So Rillick uh, addresses the, the, the crew and the delegates on the uh, open channel and sort of says, hey, by the way, uh, you know, here's where we're at and sort of breaks the bad news that potentially things are going to go south on Earth, Titan and Navarre if they're not successful and sort of sets the stakes, ups the stakes and, and makes everybody aware really what's on the line as we build towards our last few episodes of the season. And that, of course, you know, we cannot we cannot fail because not only will will we 
you know, potentially be up the creek, but, you know, all the people we love, the places we love, will be gone. It's not like you're 900 years in the future and you're never going to be able to really go home anyway, right? <laughs> well, you know, some physical structures might be there still. Uh, cliffs, hills, mountains, something. Yeah, Romans, Roman amphitheaters. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Saru then gets a little bit of uh, a little bit of a happier moment with Sharina where, you know, she's clearly, uh, in spite of her... her uh, Vulcan heritage is a little shaken by the news that Navarre is now in the path of the DMA. And, uh, you know, Saru sort of joins her and she says, you know, I've always found you to be a comforting presence, which is about as sexy a thing as a, as a Navarre person can say to you, right? Um, Rillick and Burnham are, then have a follow-up where they're talking about, you know, the fact that they're going to, you know, have to go check out this planet near the, the hyperfield that is uh, where the, the um, energy source is coming from. And, you know, Rillick sort of says to Burnham, well, why me? Why, why, did you, why did you have me address the crew and not do it yourself when you wanted to break the news? And, and Burnham sort of, you know, uh, says, you know, we, well, you're, you're here, you're the president. And, you know, when you say these things and you speechify, you give the whole crew confidence and you, you know, have a measure of, of you know, gravitas that's going to really help us. And, you know, frankly, at this point, I need that boost in the arm for the crew because we now know the stakes. If this mission fails, not only are we screwed, but the like the Alpha Quadrant is screwed. So here we go. And that's the note we end on is, you know, they're heading to go to check out this planet that is a couple light years away from, from the energy field and, and Book and Tarka are on their way. And if they fail, no more Alpha Quadrant. So there you go. Cool. So yeah, a busy episode, a lot of jumping around, a lot of character stuff. There was a little spacey wacy stuff, but mostly this was about character. This was about everybody sort of coming to grips with the stakes of what's on the line here. And and everybody had sort of an emotional piece to them, you know, between Saru's story, between what's going on with Tarka and Book, what's going on with Burnham and Rillick. There's a lot of character stuff in this one uh, to sort of set the stakes for... I would imagine what will be a fairly busy and a little more actiony, not last few episodes of the season. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? I um, I thought the the look between Michael Burnham and the president was pretty interesting. It was like, man, we just talked about this. See, they're like, oh yeah, we got plenty of time. We just sit here, eat some sandwiches, binge all that Netflix we missed over the past, you know, thousands of years, and uh, <laughs> just wait it out. And they're, you know, like, they're kind of stuck. And like, well, we just talked about the fact that. You know, we probably should tell them that, like, there is, like, if you have to take sacrifices to get to the goal, you, you need to take them. There is no taking it safe kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like, they do end up resolving it at the end, right? When they have the president and Michael have another conversation about, you know, why are you doing this? We need to be together on this. And they have the announcement to the whole crew. Uh, but it probably would have been useful then, too. It would have probably felt less weird in the moment. Tim? Yeah, it's kind of an interesting, interesting episode. Um, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the bit between uh, Saru and, and Trina, you know, just sort of as, as filler, I guess, you know, kind of moving the story along, but a little disjointed from, from where the episode is. Um, some of the stuff was written on the wall in terms of where it was going to go, like, you know, the oh, the Vulcan representative is, is, is late arriving, you know. I don't know that I, I don't know, maybe you saw that Trina was going to be the 
going to end, end up being the stand-in for that? Because clearly her assistant was kind of saying, listen, we got to go, kind of, you know, in the, in the first time they meet together. Um, the it also was an opportunity for Tarka's story to be told. Like we have to have a backstory for him, right? And and find out why he's such a jerk, right? Um, although he, I think he just was made to be a jerk, and just like what what his what the justification for his behavior is, right? Um, I'm not, and his, I'm and not sure his, that we needed it though. Well. Yeah, I'm not sure. No, we needed I know. It. So I'm saying like it was kind of like like that's what I'm sorry. These two these two story points were um, kind of odd in terms of like they didn't really. Like we could have gone without them. I, I, so here, here's here's my beef with with what I just watched on TV here on cable television is I did happen to notice there were a lot of commercials in the breaks, right? Like there was probably like I think Rogers must have stacked like eight to twelve uh, commercials on each break. Mm-hmm. And zap, zap through them, mm-hmm. um, and then you know I don't know I don't know what the actual time of the episode was because I was watching it on PBR. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, like I clearly, I missed a good five minutes of, of episode because normally when I get to the top of the hour, right, the, sh- the show's finished and then there's like, you know, five minutes of commercials and then like a little minute of, of, uh, maybe, maybe some title screens. And last week I got a little bit of a, a teaser, right? But this week it just kind of, you know, got to the point where Stamets and, and, um, um, Blue Del Barrow are standing in engineering and then the show just ended, right? Yeah, you know, and and the the puddle jumping was kind of interesting, but you know, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's. Well, we talked about stakes the last few weeks, right? You know, yeah. There was there was no moment there where you're like, boy, they're gonna they're gonna bite it in the middle of the barrier. Yeah, the shields are down to ten percent. I'm like, yeah, give it five minutes. They'll be fine in a minute. You know. Yeah. And then and then every time and then when they made it into a bubble, they kind of like uh, the first thing I thought was, okay, go fix the shields. And then the next thing Michael Burm says, okay, go fix the shields. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a bit odd. I, I, again, I don't. Do they get actually through? The, does the puddle jumping thing work? And they get to the other side? Or? It does. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, and so did they get to see the disembodied neoclathic sculptures, or <laughs> no? All that really happens when they get to the other side is that there are far less stars. Space is much darker. Okay, all right, yeah. Well, it's, it's the end of the galaxy. It's like clearly they've fallen off the edge, right? <laughs> yes. God isn't there waiting for them. Do we know? Like, is there any sort of explanation as to why there is even a barrier? Like, like what is the point of the barrier? I don't know if they. I, I don't know if they ever really truly ad, uh, address it. Yeah, because it did. It did kind of look like a little bit of the Nexus ribbon a bit. You know, when they got to it, right? Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. I thought you know when they when they started doing the you know the you know we have four hours to get to the DMA and then they get there and then they're like oh no it's another nine hours or whatever. Like I thought you know that was kind of like a you know how time stretches when you get close to a black hole kind of thing like mm. or time speeds up or slows down we don't know what really happens because nobody's ever really been in one but you know like it's such a big gravity well that that time and space and everything gets distorted i thought that that it would be kind of an interesting thing that every time they tried to get a little closer to it it'd be a little further away kind of thing right they could have played with that sort of you know physical spatial dimension distortion thing right but like they could not no matter how how much they tried it was like what is it like, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, like when you have a math thing where you like pi, like you divide by a certain number and no matter how, you can never really get down to zero. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, there's like a there's asymptotic. Like golden ratio kind of things. Huh? Like, oh, uh, I guess I'm unclear because it, it, it first sounded like you were talking about like, um, like an asymptote where you can keep going 
increasingly towards a value yeah. and never actually reach it. Or like a mandibot where it just keeps keeps getting more the deeper you get into it the more detailed it becomes and it can repeats itself over and over and over again like you know those mathematical constructs that you never really have an end right yeah like like pi is a good example and that it as far as i know it does not have an end right exactly yeah just keep going so i have a i have a an update thanks to our friends at memory alpha so there are two different Base things with very similar names, and that's where I think the confusion that we've had, and I think that a lot of people have had, have come in. So there are two two different things that are, exist in space. One is called the galactic barrier. One is called the great barrier. So the galactic barrier is what we're dealing with here, and this is tied into the same galactic barrier that we've seen in the original Star Trek series. So okay, this is. A, you know, I'll read what they've got. It's an energy field that is composed of negative energy surrounding the rim of the Milky Way galaxy. No form of transmission was known to be capable of penetrating the barrier. The Great Barrier is the thing that we saw in Star Trek V. It is an immense energy field of unknown properties surrounding the galactic core of the Milky Way galaxy. One's in the middle, oh. all the way in the middle, one's all the way on the outside. Right. So, mm. so the ones were Tatooine is and the other one's not, right? Yeah, one is Coruscant and one is Tatooine. Right, okay, gotcha, yeah. yeah. Uh, which may be the nerdiest sentence ever uttered. I, I feel like I almost went full <laughs> Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra there for a second. Yeah. But, well. yeah, so that's, I guess, where the confusion that we've had is, and I know I've seen other people saying, like, what... I guess it's that similarity. So we have the galactic barrier, which was, uh, let's see, one, two, three. They mentioned it in, in a few different, yeah, a few different original series episodes, the, the galactic barrier. The great barrier is only referred to in Star Trek V. So right, if you're going to okay. blame anyone, blame William Shatner yeah, for the confusion sure, that sure. you're feeling and that we were feeling it too. So the good news is we don't have to watch Star Trek V again. Thank God. So, oh, well, the other annoying, the other thing that's confusing me has always confused me is the neutral zone, but that's a completely different thing. Yeah, right? well, <laughs> let's let's save that for when the Klingons, who are mysteriously absent, show up again. I just had this this really interesting thought. Like, so, and you gotta gotta put it put it. It's kind of like the Walkman BlackBerry iPhone com, um, comment I made earlier. Like, when Star Trek the original series came out in 1966, space travel was just a brand new thing. We didn't have a Hubble telescope. We didn't have all these sort of concepts. Like, I don't even know if we, I think we might've had a big bang theory, but I don't know that really they, like they hadn't, we hadn't had powerful enough telescopes to really see that far back or back in time. Just Cause you're not actually looking at stars that exist today. You're looking at stars that existed, you know, eons ago. Mm -hmm. Right. But you know, so when Star Trek started their little, their little, you know, baby five-year mission, like the three-hour tour, um, it was kind of like, you know, they put Kirk and Spock and McCoy in this thing and said, just go and find stuff and discover new worlds and new civilizations and boldly go where no man has gone before. And yet, you know, when we get to the next generation, we know a lot more about space. We've we've had we've spent time in space. We know like what what happens to the human body if, you, if you're up in space for like a year or whatever at a time, right? Because we did Spy Skylab and all that kind of stuff, right? And, you know, we we had sent things to Mars and we had sent things to Venus and, you know, like Voyager had left or was leaving the what we know of as our solar system, right? 
and you know sort of sort of, sort of like what I'm what I'm getting at is by the time the the next generation came along we knew more about space travel we knew more about what makes up space right and now you know discovery and all that kind of stuff they have the benefit of all the you know like even more so we all know we all have memory alpha we can go look stuff up and you know mm-hmm. we also can we can look at the science and we and we know more stuff now than because we have things like the internet and you know, before you had to be, you had to go find the nerd high school that had read the book in the library that, you know, explained this stuff to you, right? Yeah. Or find a smart professor who could, you know, dumb it down so you could understand it, you know? Yep. But it's kind of like, like the, the naivete of the, of the original series was they just got in this spaceship and kind of just went, you know, go in that direction and see what you find, right? And, you know, because, and so, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was almost like a three hour tour, like in, in terms of like, they just kind of got out there and, and, and poked around a bit. Right. Whereas now that we're in discovery and all that kind of stuff and, you know, uh, lower decks and everything like that, we're, we know a lot more as humans on this earth, reading the science fiction or watching these TV shows, we know more about the science behind it, you know, so we can go, what? programmable antimatter are you kidding me you know like back in the 60s we would have gone oh programmable antimatter wow <laughs> you know you know what i mean like and actually when you go back and watch the, the original series it's very disjointed in terms of like like they're not even wearing the same phaser belts and you know they, they they're constantly changing the uniforms and stuff like that um as each season went by and each you know creative director came along and i mean it's kind of it's kind of like you know um it was like a fun camping trip with phasers and transporters, and now it's like, you know, this major scientific affair, right? Yeah. With multi-dimensional universes and, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? They're trying. Yeah. So they got to they keep up with, uh, yeah, and I, with I guess the that's, Jessica Joneses. That's yeah. the risk, though. I mean, the risk is that they are going to, you know... I mean, we were confused about these two very similar-sounding things, but beyond that... Science fiction can sometimes falter when science takes over fiction. Right, yeah. You know, you do need to have creativity. It is always interesting when they build in, you know, things that have been new discoveries into into these pieces of fiction. But if you get lost in the minutiae of science, it starts to bog things down. You know, I don't want them just to have MacGuffins for MacGuffins' sake all the time. But at the same time, if you try and ground it too much in reality... Then you're you're I know you're at the risk of alienating your audience by just confusing the crap out of them. Well, by the same token, like you know, in Star Star Wars, we have kyber crystals, things that just don't exist. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, and you know, lightsabers, which is another thing that that to to this day can't possibly exist. We have a concept of warp travel, you know, um, that we have all the science behind bending space and time and that kind of stuff. But but those are just theories at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know. So it's it's kind of it, it's interesting that you know we have these these sort of concepts and we can buy into them you know but but um, but it's but it's not it's like so far beyond it and we can we can grant them the ability to to you know have a transporter that'll you know disassemble atomic structures and put them back together and it'll be the self same person that was transported and you know it's not like there's a Kirk that we have to kill because now there's a new Kirk on the planet that we just beam down you know. Um, or we can replicate food and, you know, we're, we're not, they're not, you know, or, or they're taking Soylent Green and making it look like a steak, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that we can, you know, we have these different things that are beyond actual science and we as fans of science fiction will accept them as, you know, potential realities, right? 
you know? Yeah, I would say if you're a fan of science fiction, you you are... As long as you don't talk about midi-chlorians, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think if you're a fan of science fiction, you, I think you're just open to the possibilities a little more. I think that's what science fiction is and does, right? It attracts people who are open-minded to imagination and science and all those things. Yeah, I go back to the Pulp Fiction books. I don't know if you guys have ever read Asimov or Heinlein or, or those guys. Um they came up with ideas that were just so far out there and just weird and wrong. I mean, but, you know, because they they wrote about them with such assured, assuredness, you, you kind of, you just kind of went, oh, okay, sure, that sounds, that sounds plausible, right? I was actually thinking today with currently what's going on politically. Um, there's a book by Heinlein called Friday, where she, the main character Friday is, is um, she's actually a sentient being like Data, but she's also a um actually I can't remember if she's a sentient being, but she's not a she's not a real person. She's an artificial life form, but she's looks like a woman, right? And she's like uh like kind of like um the Johnny Mnemonic, you know, she's a courier mm. who carries around who does stuff and but she's like a super James Bond kind of thing. But she and she lives in Winnipeg, right? But I think if I remember correctly, the whole the you know, USSR has kind of taken over most of the earth. Mm. <laughs> you know? So I was kind of thinking about that, like like those kind of like things that that they would have written back in the you know I think that was written in the eighties, right? But um, or, or late seventies anyway. But the but the whole idea of like how you know politics kind of like they they kind of like as well as playing around with science, they also played around with with Earth and society and all that kind of stuff and how it all kind of puzzles together, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's fun stuff. But I mean, yeah, I mean, if like I mean, like if you go back and read it, it's like like one of the one of the concepts that Heinlein had as an example was rather than having airplanes that you know, would get in, you would get in a, a rocket and you wouldn't just go from here, you wouldn't get in a plane and just slowly taxi and take off and fly to England. Like they literally would put you in a rocket and like slingshot you mm. to England. You would be in England in like twenty minutes. Mm. You know what I mean? Like kind of you know and i don't know how they managed to land you safely but they did but but, but you kind of kind of went oh well that's that's how you do it you get in this little rocket thing and they fling you across the earth and you're there you know kind of thing right or, or or like you know there was another book i read by him called the number of the beast where you know they get in they have this the family car and these four people these two couples get into this car and they just jet off into space you know like like the millennium falcon taken off from from tatooine like just kind of just bang and they're gone right which mm -hmm. as we you know look based on what we have in physics today there's nothing that we have that can take off like that right even even like rockets are like super heavy right now right so you know what i mean like you know how the millennium falcon just goes <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean i you know? guess the closest thing to that would be like a um vertical takeoff and landing like a harrier jet something like that right? yeah it was a harrier jet's mm -hmm. example but, but even the harrier jet if you think about it takes off slowly and lands slowly yeah too, it's true right? it's, so. it's not like it just sort of up and flies away it, it has to yeah, get yeah, up, yeah. up off the ground far enough first yeah yeah but i mean but when we read this stuff and we watch this stuff we we accept that that is possible right mm -hmm. you know because we just saw it on the screen right sort of thing yep like superman can fly he just runs to a window and jumps out and next thing you know he's like he's not really like lying on a table with the wind blowing his cape you know I was, as a kid i was always fascinated by the the, the original superman with um, the other reeve george reeve you know because he was clearly lying on a table <laughs> <laughs> you know like like his stomach was completely flat right like he was planked right <laughs> yeah, but you know as a kid you're like yeah man he's flying you know yeah 
And that's when, when Christopher Reeve came along and they did the whole motion capture camera stuff. That was, like, amazing. Well, and the harnesses and all that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Cool stuff. Yep. Cool beans. All right. Let's jump to... We're going to come back to my discussion of, of science fiction in a minute, but let's jump to the watch list and talk about my maze thing here. Yeah. So the uh, Star Trek Prodigy characters, um, at least some of them, are getting action figures. Some immediately more to follow in 2023. Uh, sadly, we don't have info on, um, on, well, we don't have images on the hologram Janeway. We do know that uh, this year will be um, uh, Jenkin Pog, Quinn, Dal, and uh, Zero, and Murph uh, with Rock Talk in early 2023. I don't know what that's about. We don't know anything about the Diviner or Dreadnought. Maybe there's not enough plastic to make her or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know what? Now that I think about it, action figures often do like series. So maybe she's like in a series two wave or something. Yeah, it's they did that not long ago with the Star Wars Black series for the Bad Batch, where they didn't just drop the Bad Batch. They've been sort of eking them out one at a time, which is probably good because those are very expensive figures. Uh, well, relatively expensive. They're 30, you know, 35, 40 bucks. But I think it's particularly interesting that they chose to release these ones and not any uh, uh, antagonists. Like, we, there's no Diviner, there's no Dreadnought, there's no... And so if you're like a kid and you're like, we're going to have an adventure, it's like, we're, we have no enemies. Yeah, yeah. I but, I don't know why they would do this in the modern era. I do remember, and I think this is accurate, and granted I'm going to like uh, five to six years old now when they released the star trek the next generation action figures i don't think there was an enemy of any sort uh, it was just the crew and the, well the Enterprise and to be D. fair that's part of the reason for that is the fact that they had done a pretty poor job of developing any kind of nemesis for them i guess beyond q but even q was only in like two episodes the first two seasons right like they really hadn't developed a nemesis for them until the Borg came along. And then later on, they sort of started adding more to it. I think that's, to be honest, if we're going to get too far into it, but I think that was one of the big failings of the first few seasons of Star Trek is there's just really isn't an overarching enemy for them to face. It, it was sort of the alien of the week was kind of what, what they were doing. The next generation are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. Next generation. Oh, okay. Okay. Start the original Star Trek series did it pretty well from the beginning. They didn't have one person, but there was always, you know, the Klingons, the Romulans. There was always a conflict in in TNG when they came around the first couple of seasons. It was just sort of, you know, I mean, one of the episodes, the bad guy was a big pile of black goo. I mean, you know, like they didn't, yeah, didn't yeah. do a great <laughs> job of, you know, put that in a package and sell it to kids, you know. Yeah, pour them out, pour them out on your desk and play with them. <laughs> Reenact the scene where Tasha Yar gets inexplicably killed in episode nine. I'm surprised they didn't do even the laziest thing of like, okay, we need an antagonist. Yeah, they don't have anything good for us to use. Uh, well, you know what? We've got this alligator man character from a similar sized series. There you go. <laughs> Repaint him. He's a gore now. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But wasn't wasn't the next generation all in Picard's head anyway? Like, cause, like wasn't that just you just messing with his head? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> it has the um, like the new heart ending where it was like all a dream from the original exactly. show. Yeah. He was, he's in, it was all told from the point of view of an old man with Alzheimer's, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would explain a lot of the episodes, I think. 
head over to Jonathan's pick. Yeah, mine's one we've talked about before, but we finally got a little confirmation. We were talking about when we were going to be able to watch Spider-Man No Way Home. We've been talking about waiting and waiting and waiting for them to actually announce when this is finally coming. It is finally coming. So if you want, you can start watching uh, Spider-Man No Way Home in the comfort of your home starting on uh, March the 22nd. That's if you choose to get it on the digital so like home release or whatever well, calling no it? it's it, this is just for digital release you'll be able to buy it on the itunes store you'll be able to buy it for any number of platforms i'm sure google play and all those other things oh heavy spoiler on the image hello yeah <laughs> yeah uh, good luck avoiding this one, Jaime. Sorry, dude. Yeah, don't look at don't look at the image. <laughs> no, the, the, in terms of being spoilerific, this part has been spoiled hypothetically for years now. So I'm mean, yeah, the, true. The, yeah, this yeah, part yeah. was impossible okay. to avoid, but like yeah, uh, yeah. But the how, the how, and yeah. the why, and how it plays out, I think, is really the the part. Yeah, that, I'm still safe from that at the very yeah. least. So so clock's ticking. Would you say March twenty second? March 22nd, you can buy the digital copy on uh, a number of different platforms. If you want to wait to own a physical copy, that is to say uh, Ultra HD or Blu-ray, you can get it on April the 12th. You have to wait a few more weeks. But you will actually be able to play it in your home sooner than later, which is nice. All right, cool. Well, mine's not really a... Mine's pick more than... Actually, both of these are sort of picks. Um, Better Call Saul, I just saw. One of the the 57 commercials I I zapped through on... uh, watching tonight was a commercial for Better Call Saul, which is going to start up on April 18th. So this is the final season of Better Call Saul. And so I started watching Severance. I was kind of avoiding Severance because it sort of had that office space kind of feel and look to it. And and I'm working in corporate world as I do. And Jonathan, you work in a corporate world. And I think Jaime has at some point in the past. Mm -hmm. It just didn't seem like something I would want to watch. But um, I watched the first two episodes that just came out on... um, I'm not sure if both episodes dropped on Apple TV, but uh, they're out now. Um, and I, forget, I almost forget the name of the Adam Cook. Is that his name? Or Adam, Adam Scott. Adam Scott, yeah. He's from Parks and Recreation, I think, right? Yeah, he's been on a lot of different great shows, but yeah, it's yeah. one he's well known for. Yeah, he, he plays a really sort of disheveled kind of character in this in this story. The idea is, the concept is, and it's, and it's in the trailer, so it's no 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 big secret, but... The idea is that these these people work in a company where they're given the choice to um, have their personal life and their work life severed, right? And so they they stick a chip in the back of their head, and and when they go to work, they um, when they go to work, uh, they. Yeah, they get disconnected they, from their memories, right? Yeah, they they kind of get in this elevator thing, and the, you know the camera angle changes a bit, and you sort of get the impression that they're now when they're now inside this thing, and they know nothing about outside. So they have all their friends at at work. They have like this four of them in this work group, and they all know each other and know each other's habits, and and this sort of one of the one of the new people comes into the into the the group, and she has a sort of orientation, and she's all disoriented and not sure what's going on. That's kind of the first episode. But what's interesting about it is, and then when, you know, when they, at the end of the day at five o'clock, they go, they go home. So, you know, like the next day comes along and she sort of says, so this is it. Like I just went home and now I'm back here again. And they're like, yeah, that's kind of sort of what it is. Right. It's really interesting how it's filmed. They must've gone and got like a big giant warehouse and all of these, you know, standardized, you know, um, I don't know if you like, if you like in our building downtown, there's, there's these walls that they kind of put up. 
Um, and they can, they can, depending on how they break up a floor, they, they can build different sort of office units in it and they have like glass doors and all that kind of stuff. And some of them is a hallway with it's just a door that you open and you go into your, your office or you have a badge and you badge through. So there's scenes where they're walking down these big long hallways with the, you know, the, the fluorescent lights and the plain walls and, and they're, they walk and they turn left and then they turn right and they're, they walk like football field lengths as the, as the camera man walks along with them, which is kind of really kind of weird, you know, twisty stuff, right? But when uh, the one of the episodes, the very first episode, the the main character um, ends up going to a, a, a dinner with his, his sister uh, at her house, and, and there's a bunch of people sitting around there, and they're all, you know, having a sort of a, like, a, you know, a bunch of friends over kind of dinner thing, dinner party, as it were. And they're talking about, you know, they... One of them says, "Oh, you're you're a sever. You you've been severed." And and they start talking to him about like you know what it, what it's like. And it gets really sort of science fictiony. Like I I love this kind of writing where it's not your typical you know like popcorn movie kind of stuff. It's really ethereal and and you get this sort of sense in this dinner party that there's a real divide between the rest of society who sees these people as as being severed. They know they made the choice to be severed, but the question is why did that person go through to be severed? Like in this in this particular case, um, Adam Scott's character has lost a loved one, and he would rather and sort of like he he people at the dinner party are criticizing him for spending eight hours a day without the memory of having lost this person, which to him you can you can emphasize that maybe that's a relief for him, you know, that he gets to step away from that, right? And um. And it's sort of like the sort of socio-political angle of of this choice that this person has made, you know. Like, Jaime and I both know that there are companies you can work for where you cannot talk about what you do at work, right? And in this case here, it's not that he can't, like, I mean, he's not allowed to talk about what he does, but he also can't talk about what he does because he doesn't know. So it's really an interesting sort of um, commentary on, on this kind of, like, science fiction kind of thought concept, right? Or thought exercise if you will so I, I i'm really enjoying it it's like um you know two episodes in and it's kind of like okay i'm ready for some more i mean it, it might even be something you you could binge once they're all out but yeah i highly recommend this this show it's really really entertaining from that point of view like it's not it's not your typical kind of tv show kind of writing it's very very sort of you know um uh, what's the word i'm looking for you know it's 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 um plays with your brain space if you will you know mm-hmm. what I mean? The thinker. Yeah. Intellectual, that's the word I'm looking for. It's very intellectual. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so you pasted something here, Jonathan, for I, me? I did. I, I pasted in a gift for you, because I know that yes. this is your favorite thing in the world. It is. Ozark Season 4 Part 2 is coming out soon. April. Um, speaking of Part 2, uh, I watched the first episode just before we, uh, this afternoon, I watched the first episode of Part 2 of the finale of The Walking Dead. And oh my God, what a piece of trash. <laughs> right. I watched the first part of the series and, you know, I catching up on the characters and, you know, like Negan's now one of the, one of the gang, you know, mm-hmm. um, he's now dating Rachel. It's all cool. You know, naked guys across the hallway. And it's just, it's ridiculous. But, you know, and, and, you know, Carol and Norm and all that kind of, or what's his name? Is it Norm? No, Norm's his real name. Norman Reedus is Daryl. Yeah. Daryl, 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 and Carol, and and Mal and Maggie's come back, mm-hmm. and the the kids are growing up, and 
there's still zombies in every episode and and there's a gratuitous killing of these you know mindless zombies constantly right so anyway so the the first part of series of the finale was was okay kind of moved along there's of course there's a new group of people that are just a piece of work and victims to have to victims well you know and then they're you know and they dispatch the the evil doer at the end of part one part one of three right finales Mm. and then they go to this next episode and it kind of picks up right in the like it ended sort of at a big kerfuffle battle kind of thing and so it picks up right in the middle of that battle like with no recap no what last time on the walking dead Mm. none of that nonsense right and then so there's, you know, there's the struggle in the main Alexandria area, which is where the, the, the bulk of the, our, of our people live. And then there's this new, this new, uh, this new place that they went to on a mission to get food from this other people. And, and you know, it's, it's more about the people killing each other as opposed to the zombies being the threat. The zombies are like mosquitoes in this show, right? Like you just, you just, you know, oh, here's another zombie. Let's go whack that one with the, with the fly swatter, right? Kind of thing. And the problem was is, is with this episode I saw today was it was very disjointed. Like you know, you would you you'd see a situation where somebody's in peril, and they would jump to another story, and they would come back, and the first story had moved like they had skipped like a big chunk of plot. It's like really really bad editing, you know. Um, it's like yeah, this guy was in trouble over here. Now he's climbing out the window over there, and it's like, what is going? Like it's just like yeah, that's what I said. Like just from an editing point of view, what a piece of crap you know like uh, you know i'm i'm I, like after watching this episode i'm like i'm really quite like i decided i was going to watch the last season just because it's the last season but and you know as you know i was a big fan from the very beginning i just stopped watching about three years ago but yeah i just like this this episode was to me was like i don't know if i would either buy i've got it set in the pvr i might give it one more one more show but one more viewing but but i'm i may i may end up not wasting my time <laughs> you know What's sad? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's gone from it's gone from The Walking Dead, which is TWD, to WTF. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of those ones that's that's. I mean, it, it was just getting way too murder porny for me. I just I couldn't I couldn't justify tuning in every week because I was just feeling more uns not unsettled in a good way good fiction can unsettle you it was more that was gratuitous or that was unnecessary and they were just spending so much time they would basically introduce new characters build new characters up kill new kill kill old characters as their contracts were in it and they just kept like turning it over turning it over and it was just it was becoming tedious uh yeah maybe maybe when it's all said and done i will one day go back and and watch the parts that i hadn't seen but i just i really did just lose my appetite for it and it's funny because you know again i you know i will toot my own horn one more time but i was in on walking dead the comic book very 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 early yeah i was writing about it for the papers and stuff and and web and uh you know i i never really got tired of that it was it was always consistently entertaining in its own way but again it's it's such a different medium you know the 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 violence was certainly spectacular at times and the you know but it it just never felt quite as as gratuitous yeah and it it, i mean it starts off from a really honest place i mean like the whole concept of like um what's the name of the main character uh, the, the cop. Oh, uh, oh, man, it's been so long. 
Yeah. Anyway, he Andrew, starts Andrew off Lincoln's like Lincoln's character. Yeah. Andrew Lincoln. Yeah. yeah. He 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 wakes up in a hospital yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the whole world's gone to hell, right? Kind of thing, right? Is it Rick Grimes? And that's very similar Rick, to that's right. To, the, yeah. Yeah. Rick. Yeah. But it's it's very very close to um uh twenty eight days. Yeah. Twenty eight days later. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know which one, which came first, the chicken or the egg there, but, but those are both really, those both have a really interesting beginning, because it's not like, you know, like, we've all just gone through a pandemic, which is a real parallel to this kind of thing, and, and um, you know, it's not like it kind of crept up on us slowly over time, it's kind of like, imagine you were in a coma, and you woke up in the middle of, like, May last year, mm. or, or 2020, you know, and all of a sudden, everybody's walking around with masks on, and, you know... People are dropping like flies, you know, kind of thing. Like, that's kind of how 28 Days and The Walking Dead started, right? You know? And then he meets he meets Glenn early on. And, you know, Glenn's like a... Used to be a pizza delivery guy. Now he's just... You know, he's, he's wily. And he's, you know, he's got his ways to get, you know, in and out of the city to grab food. And, you know, and that, that whole thing starts up, right? And then, you know... So that so from a, from a storyline point of view, it was interesting, you know? And, and like you said, like the the first bunch of episodes there were zombies in it but they weren't like constant zombies right like you need zombie repellent now like it like i was sitting there watching this thing today and it's like you know two of them are sitting in a fire pl- uh, around a campfire having a conversation and a zombie shows up <laughs> you know one of them gets up and goes oh just deals with the zombie like you know like in while they're just having their conversation drinking their beers you know sort of thing but, like, but it's just silly. To, to put that into context <laughs> again i think it's true to a certain extent you would start to get desensitized after a while if you it, you because you'd be able to ass, uh, assess risk so quickly after being in risk and jeopardy constantly when you first when the pandemic or whatever it is that starts this thing first goes off you'd be like oh my god the dead are walking after like 10 years you'd be like I'll go kill this one. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to take care of that one? Okay. You know, and unless you saw like, you know, at one point they had the concept of the herd, right? Where where the, they're walking en masse. Then maybe you've got a problem. But, you know, yeah, a few of them, you're like, mm, whatever. Well, and they had the, the, the one interesting sort of plot point they had last year or, or sort of part one of final season, whatever. I'm rolling my eyes because I can't even <laughs> figure out how to call this, but. You know, Maggie and Negan, right? Mm. So, you know, Maggie hates Negan's guts because she killed, Cause he killed Glenn, Glenn yeah. in front of her and, and has been a sore. And she left for like, you know, she left because she went to go do another TV show and come back. <laughs> but now she's back and, and she's the de facto leader of, of the people in Alexandria, right? Because she's Maggie, right? And um, so the whole of the first part of this, of this first part of season final whatever 13 whatever it is they're like looking at each other you know circling each other constantly like they're they're both on the same side fighting against the same fighting for the same cause but all along maggie's like i'm gonna kill you and he's like i know you're gonna kill me so i'm gonna kill you kind of like that whole you know like the complete opposite of saru and and taval right um although not quite the complete opposite if you know what i'm saying but and, and you know it kind of resolves itself in the in the beginning of this episode because Negan has now left and gone off to do something else. But you know they they got through the 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 struggle that that first part of the season ended with. But yeah, but but like the whole the the bouncing around of 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 the struggle in the first part of the episode was just like like the bad editing was just too much, you know. Hmm. And it's not like they had you know bad commercial breaks or like it's it's AMC, so it's not like like the network put the commercials in the wrong places, you know, kind of thing, right? So, 
Yeah, just bad. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the worst part about it is, like, if you, I, I used to watch The Talking Dead because I used to find that a really interesting show. I liked the, the host and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, they literally just, like, do a zombie count, you know? <laughs> you know, how many people got killed this week? And, and they show all the different ways and amazing ways that they got killed, right? Yeah. I mean, from a, ma- a makeup point of view, there's, it's kind of interesting how they, they kind of, they, they've extended the sort of concept of the zombies and that kind of stuff over time. But, you know, there's one part where, where like, I've had this argument with Tammy all the time, was one part where there's a flooding, a flooded basement, right? Um, this basement's flooding because it's raining outside. But, of course, I don't know why all this water is coming into this one particular basement. But then, of course, the zombies come down. And the question is, do zombies float or not? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, the issue that I always had with the concept of The Walking Dead is that the way they introduced it in the comics is different from the from the show. In the comics, you it's a virus that is transmitted through being bit or scratched or whatever. On the show, the concept is that you everybody now has everybody's infected. So you if you die, you become The Walking Dead and you have to be put down. I thought The Walking Dead were the people. Well, fair. Like. They're not killed people. Yeah. yeah. So the the idea is okay. Fine. So if you're the walking, you know, if you if you're a zombie, then you have to have your your head cut off. But how do you reconcile that with you know the fact that bodies deteriorate? Like, yeah. You know, initially, if there's this, you know, everybody gets sick. A lot of people die. They become zombies. They in turn. Attack and kill other people, they in turn become zombies. After a fairly short amount of time, the bodies would start to decompose to a point yeah. where the muscles would start to atrophy, they stop working. Well, How do these zombies fuel themselves? You yeah. Know? So, I mean, the, the premise is just so deeply flawed when you break it down that you, again, it's just like anything else in horror, sci fi, or anything else. You have to suspend disbelief. But, you know, that's the part where I sort of get stuck sometimes where I'm like, you know, there would, of course, continue to be zombies because continually people would die. And since they are all infected, they would continue to die and turn into zombies. But the numbers would dwindle so vastly because of the atrophy of time that 10 years later, you're right. A mosquito isn't even a fair analogy. It would be like spotting a wolf in the woods. There'd be like, oh, there's a zombie. Wow. I haven't seen one of those in a while. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So if people can get in touch with you, Jonathan, where would they find you? Always on Instagram and Twitter as at JPK News. Right. And how many people want to get in touch with you? Where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All righty. And once again, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. So how it's spelt on the Twitter machine. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future.
So Jaime, you have a Comixology account, do you not? I I do, and I think I could have sworn I had linked it with an Amazon account when they, yes. like a month or two ago, said do it. And then last week or two, they're like, oh, by the way, you should do this. I'm like, do, do I need to do anything again? And I log back in. Yeah, so they revamped their app this week. And so if you log into your comiXology app and you log in through that to your amazon it links everything you've ever purchased or or gotten for free from your comiXology all into this new app plus they've now added the buying feature right into the app so before you used to have to go onto amazon to buy stuff and then it would show up in your app but it seemed like it was very um disorganized it wasn't like i didn't always find everything that i was looking for in the same place uh, there's been a lot of blowback online. Some people hate this new part of the app. They have said this week that they're going to go back and actually tweak it and add, you know, take away some features, add some features, and improve the experience. But I will say, this is the first time in a long time that I felt like my entire digital comic book library is all in one place where I can actually see everything that I own in one spot. Um, and so... Yeah, I would say if you guys both have them, take the time to update your app and log in this week. You might be surprised to see it all sort of sort itself out in a more coherent way. So we log, um, we log in with Amazon, not with with Comixology account, right? But you, when you go when you launch the new the brand new app, it asks yeah. for your Amazon login, and so yeah, you log yeah. in that way, and then it'll upload and basically add all your. Okay, I'm purchases. going into the site because I, I did I did look like I looked because I I remember getting a, a Spider Man when the iPad first came out, like 2010 or whatever, mm. right? Like the and then I think. One of the, one of the episodes you said to us, there's a whole bunch of um, Black Panther for free, yep. right? I went and got all that stuff, yep. and now I'm, I'm just logging in on logged in on um, the web to my account, but it says Amazon in the corner, mm-hmm. and I've just logged in. So am I logged in with what am I logged? It looks like I'm logged in with my Amazon account, but I'm just trying to see if I can find those. Like, where do you look and see to find your? Um, your titles that you own it's just it wants to sell me more titles right are you logging on a computer or on on your phone i'm on my computer yeah so try logging into the to the app on i found all my black panthers on the app on the comiXology app there you go but but i can't find that spider-man title that i have. yeah so again maybe it's it's not connecting it i was surprised when i when i did the refresh and i uploaded it it not only did it pull in like all that kind of stuff, but you know, and I had bought stuff over the years when it was on sale. Sometimes they'll do really good sales on, on, uh, on the app or, or, well, at that point it was through Amazon, but, um, there was stuff on here where I was like, I completely forgot that I had got something for free or that I had bought something. So I was like, Oh my God, I have so many digital comics. I did not remember ever getting. I was like, oh, I had that. Oh, I didn't know I had that. Oh, that's a lot. So, well, actually, the, the the one I had wasn't a spy. It wasn't a Spider Man specifically. It was. Um, I'm just going to see if I have this original. Yeah, I have. I had the iPod One that came back to me. I restored my account on it, but um, that's where I saw that I had the Spider Man. And but it wasn't Spider Man. It was like a sort of a like a compilation of different um, comics. Because when the app first came out, it was like they were showing how they were going to, you know, because I think the big debate when the iPad first came out was what is a com- what's a comic book going to look like on it, right? And as you read it, it kind of zooms in on each panel. Yep. I don't know if they do that still. Yeah, either. when they, well, so in the early 2000s, maybe like 2000, 2001, Marvel.com actually had an excellent reader. You know, this is, of course, pre-smartphone, pre-iPad. 
So on their website, there was actually a great function on there where they did that sort of dynamic presentation stuff. I read, that's the first place I read all those Ultimate Comic Universe things, Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men. I read those all for free on Marvel.com at the time and was really impressed by that. And then they went to sort of the the app view a few years later, and I was really excited about the iPad when the iPad came out, thinking like, "Well, this could be a really cool way to enjoy comics." And the experience wasn't as good as that. It's it's gotten better now, but it mm-hmm. was it took a while to get there. I I'm just going to point this out because I just discovered this and it made me laugh. If you have the uh, Comicsology app here in Canada and you click through to the Discover section, which is supposed to take you to the inventory of books that you can purchase, it's a sign that comes up with a big X for 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 uh, Comicsology, and it says, "We are sorry, oh. but this app does not support the Amazon.ca store." <laughs> oh God, I love it. <laughs> It says books purchased from Amazon.ca are available to read in this app. So basically, if you're logged into your Amazon account and you buy a digital comic or a Kindle comic, you can view it using this app because you're logged into this app, but you Mm -hmm. can't purchase anything through the app, even though that was one of the big touts of this app is you could do that, but apparently not in Canada. So once again, (laughs) oh my God. (laughs) It's all right, Jonathan. Something something good will happen to counterbalance this. Yeah, the universe giveth and taketh away, Jaime. <laughs> You're going to find a $20 bill in the couch cushions or something. <laughs> oh, God, that's funny. Oh, all right. Well, once more, Canada. Yeah. Here we are, yeah, third it. world country. Can't even get our comic apps figured out. But yeah, it's it's funny because some of the stuff, you know, again, I, I was doing that. I, you know, I belong to a lot of comic communities online, you know, social media and, and different platforms and stuff like that. And, you know, Reddit and places like that. And a lot of places are really good if something comes up as a sale or if something comes up as a freebie, uh, you know, like what I shared with you guys about the Black Panther comics, that stuff comes up, people share it. And so it's like, cool, I'm just going to add that. I'm just going to add that. I'm just going to add that. And yeah, I, I've been doing that, I guess, for, you know, uh, a decade or so. And it's, yeah, now when you put in your library, you're like, oh, I actually own a lot of digital comics, which it never really occurred to me that I did. You get, uh, if you buy a Marvel comic, for again almost almost you know 10 years or so when you buy a printed marvel comic it actually comes with a digital code inside the comic book that you can redeem for a digital copy of the book you just bought however in order to do that it's like a little scratch off space inside the comic book which no mm. self-respecting comic fan would want to do because it damages the integrity of the comic book and therefore inherently the value so you can buy a comic book and you can do the little scratch off thing but then you've basically immediately devalued the comic book so therefore you have to decide what's more important to you a digital comic or the integrity of your printed comic Hmm. yeah that's a that's a rough one they they resolved that a little bit. They they were doing digital codes in some of the collected edition books, but only the ones that were coming shrink wrap sealed. So if a book came wrapped in shrink wrap, there would be a code on the inside that you just entered a digital number or scanned it or whatever it was, and that way you got it. That made a lot of sense. But regular printed comic books, they don't just seal them. 
So if you were in a comic store, theoretically, you could just like walk over with your your, you know, iPhone camera and just be like click 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 click, click on all the new releases yeah, that well, week, exactly. yeah, yeah, and yeah. get yeah. yourself like the massive digital comic collection. So they actually put in a safeguard to that. But what that means is, if you decide to redeem that, you are. Uh, inalterably changing comic, the comic yeah. book. Yeah. And this is something that happened back in the day, you know, so there used to be these things called Marvel value stamps back in the, in the old comics where uh, you, if you clipped it mm. out and you mailed them into Marvel, they would send you stuff or you belong to a club or all these different things. But now of course, you know, there are some milestone historic books where people will be like, I have the book. Of course, somebody took a pair of scissors to it in the 1970s. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny how those things work off uh, over time, right? I wonder uh, I wonder if they get this sorted out, if there'll be a, an, an improvement. I, I'm curious. Jaime, maybe you could be our, our, our canary in the coal mine since you are in the uh, illustrious and populous United States where, where apparently this functionality works. But I'd be curious to see if that makes the whole... Uh, enjoying of digital comics easier for people if if there'll be more adoption of that with the, an easier to use experience because I always found the whole shifting between one app to purchase and one app to to view as one of the huge stumbling blocks of this thing. Maybe I should have chosen that and go somewhere else. I don't see a way to purchase. Yeah, and there's a section. There's one section that's sort of the library, and there's one that says discover. And discover, I think, is where you go to to find new stuff and purchase that's what it. I'm looking, that's what I'm looking at. And I see download the sample, uh, reviews. I don't see a big purchases button. Hmm. Weird. Is there a way to see if I have things connected correctly? Let's see. Library. Where's my, where's my user stuff? My account. Oh, maybe I didn't claim. I apparently have not. I apparently I signed in, but have not claimed my comicsology account. Oh, Oh, the account you submit has already been merged. So what's up? <laughs> hit this. On, on the app you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, let me hit this sync button. Let's see if it does anything. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. Is <laughs> <laughs> the uh, okay? All right, start. Oh, that's my library. Discover Sandman Volume One. Oh, here's the thing. I don't Cap see a way to blame your buy. Weird. Or I don't know how to enter it because I see reviews. I see download a sample. I can favorite it. I can't. Oh, it's part of Comicsology Unlimited. Let me see. Uh, Night Ghoul. Read for free. That's not helpful. Saga number 56. So what happened? They bought, they bought, um, yeah, a number of years back, they bought Comixology. Yeah. Yeah. So for a while, it seemed they, not only did they leave it alone, but they kind of neglected it. It felt like, you know, the comics ghetto for a while there where it was like a pretty unfriendly app experience. And then they, with great fanfare, announced that this you know, this past week that they were going to, um, you know, have this new app. And then, yeah, it's been a little scorched earth this week. People are, <laughs> yeah. So Gizmodo has an article they put up this morning that says comiXology promises fixes and updates after disastrous Amazon integration. <laughs> disastrous is not a word you want to hear in app integration. I feel like that's happened to me because like, I just do not know how to internet apparently because I can definitely download samples of like, uh, <laughs> star Wars, the high Republic, the edge of balance volume two. I can see the series. I, it says price set by seller. I cannot seem to find a buy button and I don't see any, any options anywhere in a lengthy Twitter thread today. 
The first time since Comixology Twitter uh, tweeted a similarly large thread about the initial launch, the publisher acknowledged the strong blowback from users and comic creatives about the many changes made to the integration of the app uh, and promised that they will address the transition and uh, we have heard your feedback. We know that it was, quote, far from seamless. Well, yes, I guess so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So stay tuned. Maybe there's more to come. Yeah, it's funny. What did they think would happen, really? You know, mm -hmm. somebody shipped this without the buy button, apparently, because <laughs> I just cannot find a way to buy anything. Yeah, well, I think you've you've sunk into the quagmire that uh, that they're talking about there. I mean, I see all well, I my library stuff. Jonathan was talking about. It's great, but no, no buy button. Hmm. I found the big X that Jonathan was talking about. Yeah, yeah. The oh, are you Canadian? Space. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, Canadian. Well, same thing happened with when when Amazon, uh, sorry, Audible, right? Because Audible is also owned by them. And because and, I was given, like when I was doing podcasting, I was given, we interviewed some authors and they gave me codes for their books, which I couldn't download with my Canadian Amazon account or Audible account. I had to, I still had an American account. So I would log into the American one and listen to the, to the episodes, right? But yeah, it's really annoying. Like I've been given lots of, lots of books by people over, over the years, you know, for because of my association with the podcast and stuff, but they, you can't run them in Canada. Ridiculous. Information and reading. Maybe it's under this category here. Clubhouse. Go away, Clubhouse. How, do you, how does this uh, app library thing work? I mean, like, oh, you have to click on the, the multiple one. I'm trying to find this um, comic book app that I had. Oh, Comixology. I guess that's, that's what it is. Hmm. Yeah, I guess my, my um, Spider-Man's gone. Or not Spider-Man, but my, my... What do you call it when you get, like, a taster? You like a sample pack or whatever? Yeah, it's like a teaser. Yeah, it was like it was like an episode of Spider Man, an episode of something else. Oh like yeah, like the variety pack, the old uh, the old boxes yeah. of uh, mini cereals. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was the very first comic book that I because I remember I remember back in the day getting it because we were all we were talking about it at the time hmm. how comic books are going to work on iPad, right? Yeah. In the early because we like I was looking at a lot of different books like that kind of stuff. Like reading book, like like iBooks has come a long way in in the ten years or whatever we've had iPad, right? But I can't. For, I saw it like we we talked about this on the show like a couple of months ago, right? And I remember I went and looked, and I found the Spider Man, the, the book I'm talking about, and then, but then I like I I, I must have gone and married my um, Comixology account with my Amazon because now I'm not seeing that, right? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I'm looking at my iPad for a like a reading group or whatever no i where's my ibooks account i mean trying to find stuff on the ipad is so hard these days if you don't use the um app library right yeah I mean, you probably should use the app library and just well see if i so i type books in for example right like if i'm if i do a search i could find the books the ibooks app right but it doesn't tell me where on the ipad it is i can just click on the icon and open it which is not what i want i want to know where on the computer where on the device it is right yeah, I uh, like a long press and then an option to like highlight on uh, on on home screen or something. You can do that on um, the Mac. You can you know you can get info on it. It'll tell you where where it's actually on the the physical device, right? Yeah, or like reveal in Finder and just have it open a new window and tell you here it is. This is what this file is. So here's an interesting question. I have two copies of Rob Whitaker's developing inclusive mobile apps on my iBooks account. The same book. Hmm. Like, is it like different issues or? 
Do you remember me mentioning to you both the, that Miracle Man series, the Omnibus that was coming mm-hmm. out? Uh, it's it's now dropped onto Amazon. It's not coming out till September, but they finally got the pre-orders up, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's, list price is uh, one hundred and twenty-five Canadian dollars, but they just put it up for ninety eighty-nine dollars and thirty cents. So, wow. it's a bargain. Bargain. A bargain at that price. Yeah. Well, look, I have the Objective-C programming language by Apple on my, on my iPad, I mean. That's uh, definitely one I put on there pretty early on, too. Like, probably a blast from the past now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were joking on the show that uh, after the changes are making it at uh, Swift.org, uh, Objective-C is going to make a comeback. <laughs> Talk about a crossover sort of thing with the, 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 the toxic... <laughs> fan base <laughs> scared away the creator of swift and and now um who knows or the i i found another one here called ios application programming guide i wonder did i put this on my computer on my this is like an early 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 uh piece what how do we i wonder if they have like a what do you call it masthead what do you call that thing on the, fir- the first page of a book no title page yeah, yeah. is that it no 2010 huh. all rights reserved hmm. how to make an app where was this book in 2010 Yep, it would be a sixth grader in elementary school if it was a child. This? Which is pretty weird to think about. <laughs> it's like, oh man, has it really been that long since this stuff came out? Yep, sure has. Mm-hmm. Well, Objective-C is older than that too, right? Mm-hmm. I have the Thai Slowbook cookbook. Yeah, I was talking to somebody at Apple and he was telling us, we were talking about that. They remember that book publisher app that they had for a while? That's gone, according to the guy from Apple. They had like an authoring app you could you could get and you could write your own books with. Ooh, I do remember that. Yeah. Oh, books. Here it is. Yeah. Kindle. I have Kindle. I wonder if, it's, what if I put it in a Kindle. So I have a Kindle app too, right? Yeah, it does say that it works, that if you have the same thing with the Comicsology, because obviously Amazon owns Kindle as well. Look at that. I have Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I didn't know I had that. This was one. I got to read Math Overboard. It's a book I got from a friend of mine recommended on trying to relearn math. <laughs> but wait, do I own these books? Yeah, from my library. Effective Darth Maul. Son of Darth Amir. Oh, Son of Darth right. That's a good story, actually. Yeah. It's not free. No, it's not, but it's a good story. All righty. Anyway, got to okay. go. Talk to you next week, guys. Bye. Talk to you later. Yep. yep. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.